The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. This is the birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, on the second week of Advent, the theme is peace. And our text, as you heard read, is Luke 1, 26 through 38, a text traditionally known as the Annunciation, the announcement of Jesus' birth by the angel Gabriel to Mary. This is, in the story, how Mary finds out that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And because this birth is the centerpiece of God's plan of salvation for the entire world, This scene is also one of the great commissioning stories in all of Scripture. Very similar in style to the Old Testament when God called prophets to serve God's purposes in the world. For this is no ordinary birth. Mary is taking on a key role, really a centerpiece role, in God's work of salvation. You see, God is about to do something that human beings think is impossible, which is to say that in Jesus, God takes the M out of impossible. A central question to Christmas, and indeed to the Christian faith, is who is Jesus? We talk about Jesus an awful lot, and and there's a lot of chatter about Jesus, but who is Jesus? To sharpen the question, maybe we should ask, what makes Jesus so special that billions of people around the world will celebrate his birth into the world? The answer we give in the church, there's no mistaking it, is one that seems impossible from a merely human point of view. 
Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is God who became human while continuing to be God. A process that we have come to know as the incarnation. This text about the angel and Mary in chapter 1 of Luke is foundational to the worldwide church's belief about Jesus' unique identity and heavenly origin. The truths about Jesus spoken of in Luke's account of this encounter in Nazareth became fully expressed by the church nearly 300 years later in the city of Nicaea in modern-day Turkey. In a city in Turkey, which is technically in Asia, is where really the, the theological consensus for the worldwide church on the person of Jesus Christ, where that was established. And so one wonders, is Christianity a Western religion or an Eastern religion? causes one to think, doesn't it? The Nicene Creed unites Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestant believers around the world. And it summarizes this incarnation of Jesus with these words. Here's a sample. For us and our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. Luke's text provides the background for this seemingly impossible statement. In verse 27, we read that Mary, Luke gives us this, is a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now this description of Mary that Luke gives squares with her response to the angel when informed that she will give birth to the Son of God. One way of translating it in a casual way would be Mary saying, I don't think so. In our text, it it reads, how can this be since I am a virgin? Where it says virgin there, it's actually a different word than the one Luke uses earlier in the text. The one that Luke uses to introduce Mary is virgin as you would think that that word is used today. Mary actually uses a figure of speech and says, how can this be since I do not know a man? And that was in that culture. That was her saying what you think she was saying. She's saying, I know enough. Mary was young, but she knew enough to know that she's pretty sure that this isn't happening. She gets what the angel is saying and understands that it's impossible. But the angel clarifies who will make the impossible possible. The Holy Spirit of the living God, demonstrating the power of the Most High. Now, Luke doesn't tell us exactly how it happened. It doesn't happen right then. It's in the future that it's speaking of. But he establishes right from the beginning the the facts of Jesus' life, that Jesus was a human being with a uniquely divine origin. In the words of the Nicene Creed, Jesus is true God from true God, yet he's also truly human, fully human and fully God, the impossible made possible. That's what God can do. As the angel Gabriel affirms in verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. But what is God's purpose for doing the impossible? 
Here in the text, we read that it's because the Son of God is given to reign over an everlasting kingdom. One that, that, that circles around and sweeps up all the people of earth in an eternal kingdom of peace. On the second week of Advent, we recognize peace as a dimension of the salvation that Jesus brings. There is a big picture view of this kingdom. It's big, it's large, it's hard to take in from our our limited angle while living on this earth. But it goes beyond the limits of our human finitude into eternity. And it affirms, and Jesus' incarnation is witness to this reality of this eternal kingdom of peace. And the eternal aspect puts the weight on the future, the future hope that there will come a day when the peace that we long for but we don't see happening on this earth, that it will all come about. It will all come to pass in that great day of the Lord. And we can count on it. This big picture peace is foundational to Jesus. And we are called to anchor our lives to this hope. As Lauren Daigle sings in one of her songs, we are called to stand our ground where hope can be found. And it would have been enough if what Jesus came to deliver was just, just a future hope that took us into eternity. But as we orient our lives within the big picture of ultimate peace, there are little pictures, scenes of the big picture, if you will, when we actually experience Jesus' big picture future right here on earth. We are in the midst of a study of the Gospel of Luke for this entire academic year, the school year from September through June. And so this is not just a reading from, uh, that occurs during Advent every year, which it is one of those readings, but we're reading it with a particular attention to the Gospel of Luke, and we're in this journey. And so I'm going to say something here that takes us a little bit deeper into Luke's writing of this Gospel and how this story might function in the larger picture. Luke wrote two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And if you want to know how you, you figure that out, uh, you just read the first few verses of each one. They look identical. And they're addressed to the same person. The surprising story of God's message for Mary happens in the first of a combined 52 chapters. This is right at the beginning of the story. It's the first of many surprising scenes Throughout, in which God, through the Holy Spirit, takes the M out of impossible. And Mary's moment sets the stage for so many more surprises to come. You see it in Jesus' ministry, in the miracles that he does, in the healings that he performs, the hungry who are fed. You see it in Jesus' teaching, in, in his teaching about a, a, a Samaritan, who was the example of neighborly love. You see it in his story of a prodigal son who was not shunned but was welcomed home by a loving father. You see it that Jesus' death on the cross was not the end of the story, but he was raised to life and indeed even ascended into heaven. And in the book of Acts, Luke picks up the story from there. 
and chronicles how the church experienced the surprising work of the Spirit who makes the impossible possible. Around every corner, there's another surprise. Prison doors are burst open. People are healed. Lives are rescued. And the good news of Jesus spreads like wildfire. One of the most striking surprises occurs a full one-third of the way through this combined work of Luke and Acts. It happens 80 miles away from Nazareth as the crow flies. And around 35 years after this encounter between Gabriel and Mary. Most of us are aware that there are places in the world today where it's against the law to gather with other Christian believers to worship and to pray. We have those, as you recently witnessed, those in our congregation who have experienced what life is like in that kind of a society. You have to be very careful. You have to meet in secret because if the police find out, it could cost you jail time and for some it had cost them their very lives. And this is not entirely different than it was in some places in the early church those first followers of Jesus. Imagine if a believer in in such a hostile environment had a vision where Jesus tells him to go to a house to meet a man who by name is known to be the most ruthless, violent persecutor of the believers in that area. And the word on the street is that they knew this person was coming to, to do damage and to arrest the believers in that town. If you got this vision and Jesus told you to go there to meet that man, would you go? Man, whoa. And yet, on straight street in the Syrian city of Damascus, Ananias slipped into a house and met his enemy face to face. And instead of an ambush, he witnessed the Holy Spirit making the impossible possible by taking this enemy of the church, a violent persecutor against all Christians, and turn him completely 180 degrees. And from that, this persecutor's eyes were opened to Christ, and he became the most powerful and passionate proponent of the Jesus movement this world has ever known, the Apostle Paul. What sign of peace What dimension of salvation do you long to be surprised by? What complete 180 degree turnaround do you long to see in your life, in your family, in this church, in the world? The stage has been set for the Holy Spirit's surprising work. And in scripture and testimony, we hear that it's possible It can happen. One day, we know in hope and faith that things will be made right, that violence will end, that relationships will be restored, that addictions will be broken. But what about the here and now? And perhaps we won't see it until then, until that great day when the kingdom of our Lord Jesus will come in full. But there are those pictures, those scenes, those moments where the Holy Spirit breaks into human life and the impossible is made possible. I want to ask you, Do you know, do any of you here know of someone who was addicted to drugs or alcohol and the Holy Spirit broke that addiction and now they live free? Do you know anyone? We have people raising their hands. 
I know it. I've seen it. I've seen it in the midst of this congregation and this community. Do any of you know that if there are people who have had broken relationships and those relationships have been reconciled? Do you know? Go ahead and raise your hands. I see a lot of hands raised. You've seen it happen. Now we long for it. It's not a plug and play thing where it's just magically going to happen. But because we've seen it, God, by his grace, gives us that moment to that foretaste of the eternal kingdom when all will be made right, that the Holy Spirit can bring this about in power. Scenes of salvation brought into the here and now. In Luke's portrayal of Mary, she not only sets the stage for surprise, but she also sets an example for Jesus' disciples to follow. At the beginning of her encounter with the angel, Mary is really in a predicament. As Luke presents it in the text, uh, he uses a word that's translated differently by different translations. In the NRSV, as we read today, we read that she was greatly troubled. So think about your experience of being greatly troubled. In the NIV, we read the word perplexed. Perplexed, very thoughtful, to the point of maybe confused and and really struggling um, with her thoughts. Have you ever been agitated? That's the word that John Calvin used to translate this Greek word when he wrote his commentary on this text. Mary was agitated. And yet, when her conversation with the angel Gabriel ends, just a few verses later, we find her saying with a measure of peaceful contentment, Let it be with me according to your word. She's good to go. What made the difference? Greatly troubled by a God-sent greeting, God's fear-conquering favor and powerful presence provided for her peace. You see, kind of hidden into this text are words communicated by the angel Gabriel that are God's words to Mary for her to receive and take in. And that's one of the blessings. One of the examples that Luke kind of lifts up throughout, and we find this again in the Christmas story, is Mary had a remarkable way to receive what God was saying to her and doing in her life and to really allow it in to take the time to allow it in, to really deeply consider how her life was going to be different because God was doing something. And so God says some things in our text today uh, through the angel Gabriel. One of them is this. There was no need to fear because she has found favor with God. The word favor in Greek is the exact same Greek word that we translate in other places, grace. Some of you know that the definition for grace, one of the definitions classically, is unmerited or unearned favor. Goodness is poured out on you, not because of who you are, what you, are, what you can earn, but it is just lavished upon you and poured out for you because of the, the giver. And here it is God. Mary has found favor with God. God is saying, Mary, my grace is with you. And then the other word that comes from God through Gabriel is, the Lord is with you. 
God promises his powerful presence. And it seems that at some point in the conversation, Mary began to trust the angel's words about God's grace and presence. She received God's favor, God's grace. She sensed and acknowledged the Lord's presence, and we can do the same. Now, it's very, 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 very likely that God is not going to ask us to do the same thing that God asked Mary. But God does invite us to take our part in living our lives as a part of God's plan of salvation. And his grace and his presence will be sufficient for us as they were for Mary. Picture a child who is facing a challenge for perhaps a a performance on stage or on the field of sports competition or in the classroom when there's a test and a grade is on the line. Think of that moment of anxiety. Some of you are going back into your childhood and you're shivering right now. Think about the difference it makes when a trusted adult in their lives, when a trusted adult in their lives draws near to them and reassures them that it doesn't matter how this all turns out. A parent, a mom or a dad or a grandparent or, or a mentor, a friend, can share with them, it's okay. I'm going to love you just the same regardless of how you do in that game or how you do in that concert or how you do in that exam. I'll welcome you with open arms. The reassurance of relationship provides that child a secure base and the freedom to risk moving forward in confident courage to face their challenge. In the first service, one of the people who shared in our children's uh, ministry spotlight, uh, Heather, who is a teacher in Sunday school, shared from her own story how in her growing up years, she didn't really have that kind of support from her home life. But it was the church where she met adults who provided that. And man, if that's ever something that, that just goes right to my heart when I hear people saying that, because I've seen it happen. There's it, there it is again. I've seen it happen. And you see a similar dynamic happening in marriage. There's a, there's a, a theory that is really helpful for couples. And uh, some very prominent marriage counselors like Dr. John Gottman and Dr. Sue Johnson uh, have done teaching and written books about this. It's attachment theory. And the theory goes like this, that, that in our childhood, when we had that kind of secure base from those who loved us, when we knew that if there was trouble or disagreement, if, if we knew that that relationship was going to be secure on the other side of that disagreement, that frees us up to really be healthy in our relationships, including a marriage relationship. Um, but it's when we think that disagreement and trouble uh, might lead to people leaving us, or abandoning us, or judging us, those types of things, that leads to insecurity, and it really is one of those seeds that explains a lot of of difficulty that married couples have. I personally have found this very helpful, um, and, and I know that many people in the congregation have as well. But that's but what's great about this attachment theory. And what counselors can do in working with couples is that it is possible to learn and develop new ways of relating and develop in a relationship this secure base that provides for peaceful relationship. 
And that secure base is what is happening kind of under the surface in this encounter between God and Mary in this moment. It starts out like a washing machine in the agitation cycle, right? What does that sound like and feel like? Churning, loud, unsettling. And then by the end of this text, Mary has received these words from God that reaffirm this secure base for relationship, and now it's like a spin cycle, spinning away toward the future of what God will bring, smooth and calm and peaceful, when the spin cycle is balanced, that is. God does move us from agitation to inner peace. Can you experience peace in the midst of the troubles of this world? Some would say, It's impossible. But we know from Mary's experience that God can take the M out of impossible. Amen.